Hey everyone, this is Ryan from Athix Fitness, and you're listening to the Athix Approach Podcast, the podcast where we highlight inspirational, up and coming vegan and plant based athletes that you've probably never heard of yet, and what they do to absolutely kill it on a plant based diet. If you haven't already, it would really help out if you subscribed to, liked, commented, and or shared any of the content I'm producing, including this podcast, free articles and training programs on athixfitness.com, videos on the Athix Fitness YouTube channel, and more. I truly appreciate all of you guys for the love and support. In today's episode, I speak with Tom Cmac, a plant-based endurance athlete and content creator from Queensland, Australia. Actually, this episode with Tom was originally recorded at the end of July 2021, but life got pretty crazy for me shortly after, so I'm only finally releasing the episode now in October 2021. So my apologies to Tom and any listeners out there for the huge delay. Back to the overview. Tom has completed some crazy endurance feats, including the Goggins 4x4x48 challenge, which consists of running 4 miles every 4 hours for 48 total hours. Yes, you heard that right, and it's exactly as crazy as it sounds. 48 total miles in 48 hours, allowing basically no time for any decent sleep. Tom and I discussed the physical and mental stress such an extreme challenge had on his body, as well as his other athletic feats, what he eats as a plant-based athlete, the state of the environment and climate change, and how we can contribute to bettering the world. Tom also hosts an awesome podcast called The Plant Paradigm, so I highly recommend checking that out if you haven't already. On a side note, this episode will be concluding Season 1 of the Athics Approach podcast, but don't worry, I'll be back in spring of 2022 with a ton of fresh new content for your listening pleasure. Thanks so much for following along, I really appreciate it, and I hope you enjoy this episode, episode 16. What's up, guys? This is Ryan with Athix Fitness, and I am here with Tom Simak. Thank you so much for coming on today, Tom. How you doing, man? I'm doing so good, bro. How are you? Awesome, dude. I'm doing great too. It's uh, it's been a nice day here in New York City. Very hot, um, but uh, yeah, just trying to get through the heat this summer. <laughs> How about you? Oh, dude, the day's just started. So I've gotten up, done my reading, done my stretching had my coffee as you guys like to call it and, coffee. Uh, I'm just coffee yeah I'm just ready to go man I'm just yeah. I'm keen to do my workout for the day and I'm keen to just you know live another 24 hours I, I yeah. feel like I, I started really spiritually but like just feeling good today you know that's awesome dude that's the best way to start the day it's it's so funny uh I, I didn't really realize it until after we scheduled uh, this meeting, but uh, this video chat, but I know that you're in Australia, right? So you're, you, it's 10 a.m. there right now? Yeah. Ten, so I'm in, I'm in the Gold Coast, Australia. So okay. on the sunny coast, essentially, we kind of have kind of like a version of like maybe California, like that coastline. We've mm-hmm. got like Santa Monica Boulevard, like on the, on the coast where people run and it's, it's a very fitness centric place to live. Mm -hmm. Like when I moved here, I'm just like, man, everyone just is jacked as here. (laughs) Like, it's so weird. Like I grew up in Melbourne, which is a very concrete city Mm -hmm. kind of New York vibe, Mm -hmm. but less people like fitness because it's so cold all the time. So nobody's out. Everyone's like couch potatoing and Netflixing and stuff. Yeah. You move here and it's like sunny most of the year and it's like everyone's just fit and i'm like isn't that amazing when 
you can move to a place where the environment condones this kind of culture of working out. And so everyone's like, wait, you, you don't work out. And like, that's then the weird part. Yeah. When did you uh, move over there? Look, it was only a few months ago. Um, oh, recent. So I'm still, yeah. So I'm still like really on the, on the vibe. Like I'm still on the mm -hmm. high that like everyone loves working out here. What's going on? Yeah. Like I've, I've heard with New York, it's so weird because everyone loves working out in New York too. Because, you know, you go for a run and it's just like, you're just on alert. So you have like really good runs because everything's just happening all the time. You're not distracted by music and you can, it kind of helps you bring you into the center moment while doing workouts and things like that. Yeah. Yeah. I think, yeah. In New York, it's weird. It's like, uh, I guess not, a, I mean, obviously it's so many people here, but not a ton of people are like really, really into like strength training. Like I feel like in California and like Florida and the States here, it's like people are very concerned about like the way they look and like looking really jacked and fit and, you know, lean people in New York. Cause it is a little colder. Usually I feel like people are more about just like staying healthy kind of, and, um, maybe care a little bit less about like being jacked and like always having their shirt off or anything. And they don't really see that as much as like California, which I think California is probably a little more like uh, where you're at. Right. It's like more uh, like, you know, yeah, warmer temperature. like we're on the beach and it's just beach, like yeah. warm. Like it's, we're technically in like the middle of winter and it's 23 degrees Celsius, which is, I don't know what in, in yeah. Fahrenheit, but it's warm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's awesome. That's great weather. It's probably uh, does wonders for just like your mood and everything too, right? For sure. I, I think seasonal depression is a real thing. Yeah. Um, you know, because and vitamin D deficiency is a real thing too. So I know sure. in a lot of cities like you know Toronto, Vancouver, New York, even in even in Melbourne, everyone recommends you got to supplement vitamin D because mm -hmm. if you're not out midday, one p.m. when the sun strikes the yeah. best, you're going to get a deficiency. Like you need to be on it, and I think that's why maybe people are into lifting a bit more in the hotter areas because they have to mm. be out in tank tops and stuff. So they kind yeah. of have that social pariah nipping at them saying, you got to look good for your insecurities and stuff like that. Whereas yeah. in New York, it's like, no, nah, I'm good. Like I can just be healthy and like wear my coat. So I don't need to yeah. show off my body. Yeah, that's exactly right. Is that how it is in uh, Melbourne too? You said where you came from? I have no, like, look, not a lot of people are into, like, I don't know if it's my circle that's changed, but I don't mm -hmm. know. Like we, Melbourne's very diverse. Mm -hmm. So there's like a big running crowd, there's cycling, there's rock climbing. There's a mm -hmm. lot of different things, but I would say it's not nearly as, as fitness centric. Like I mm -hmm. would definitely refer it to like, kind of like, not that we have like beach um, workout zones, like muscle beach or anything like that, but there's a lot of outdoor. I think the council's really funded outdoor paths the bike there's like a 50 kilometer which is like a 20 30 mile bike trail along the beach like mm -hmm. it's just it's where the investment has gone and i think that's a great service to public health when mm -hmm. because it's hard to exercise let's be yeah. honest man to wake yeah. up and to commit every single day to not only go to the gym and just lift a weight every now and again and then you're on instagram scrolling for the rest of it it's like to actually go out <laughs> it's a hurdle dude it's, yeah, yeah, yeah there's a barrier yeah. to entry there that is uh -huh. difficulty and if in the public eye and the governments can invest more to kind of remove that barrier mm -hmm. to being healthy like whether that's subsidizing gym memberships whether that's um, making running trails and bike trails and hikes more accessible mm -hmm. that will i guess initiate be a good initiative and good i guess promotion so people can live a healthier life and so then your medical bills 
lower. And so the yeah. government has less of a tax there. And I think it's a, it's a beautiful circle of life when you mm-hmm. live in a place where it's socially norm to be healthy. Cause it's, you know, firstly, you're the average of five, but also you want to be the best version of yourself and you mm-hmm. want to have the least barriers as possible to get there. You know? Yeah. That's, those are great points, man. Um, definitely. I think people, I wish more people thought like that because it would save so much money on health insurance too. Like Dude. just from like zooming out, like a macro perspective, it would be great for the whole entire, you know, the country, each, each country, and like the world in general, just, I wish more people thought like that. <laughs> It starts with us, bro. It does. It starts with these powerful conversations. It starts with initiatives. Because at the end of the day, I think governments are pretty busy doing their own things. And Mm -hmm. a lot of the time, the the people and the, I guess, parties that can instill change are the non-government organizations, the NGOs, Mm -hmm. the charities, maybe the ethical companies. Like, uh, for example, toilet paper. We've got Mm -hmm. like, who gives a crap? is a brand. I think it's in the U S as well. Right, and right. essentially they've got different, um, like they've got bamboo fiber and recycled toilet paper. And mm-hmm. every time you buy a roll, I think they, they, they build a toilet in sub-Saharan Africa to reduce the spread of disease. And it's like, Oh, wow. You just have to it, it change is simple. If you know how to get there. And it starts with facilitating, facilitating these conversations, exchanging ideas on how we can, become the healthiest and I guess be a society in the best position to thrive. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, so what, when you got, what is, what drew you to, so you do mostly endurance training, right? Yeah. Did you, are you, do you think you were more drawn to that in terms of like, um, you know, cardiovascular health and stuff, or did you just enjoy it more just out of curiosity? Uh, look, we all go through phases, man. Like, you know, <laughs> when you're, growing up and you think like you're 16, 17, I would say that most people, and I don't have the stat for this. I'm just talking on subjective evidence and how my life is, but I think you're drawn to weight because I mean, as a male, you want to attract a female and you Mm -hmm. need a good body and you want to look good for yourself because you've also got the, I guess the looming shadow of social media telling you that you need to look a certain way. So I think weightlifting is huge when you're younger. And it was for me too. Like I went through maybe three years of twice a day weightlifting plyometric. I was huge into basketball. I almost went to the U S to play for college. So that was a huge part of my life. Oh, wow. Okay. And then I kind of went to calisthenics cause I'm like, you know, I, I feel like with bodybuilding and I, I get it. Cause I, I used to be a lot bigger than I am now, but yeah, I fell into the trap of losing a lot of my range of motion uh-huh. because you know, you go, when you stretch, you're like, yeah, I love the pain, but then is not stretch. So you train and then you forget to stretch. And then a lot of that range of motion, I think that really is a huge part of life and it impedes your health a lot. If you don't stretch, you don't train properly. Cause mm-hmm. if you walk around like gorilla, like that's not sustainable, that's yeah. not good for mm-hmm. you. And I think that's a huge trap that people fall into. So I went into calisthenics to try to balance that out. So it's okay. calisthenics for those who don't know, is just a pure body weight training. So pushups, pull-ups, muscle ups, um, dips, anything, body weight and it's a different physique it's very different mm-hmm. um and then after then i've never loved running and then i've read i read david goggins can't hurt me <laughs> and then i'm not sure if you're familiar with his work but he he just loves pain and i'm like yeah yeah kinda, he's that guy like- so i don't know much about him but from what i do know i'm like this guy is crazy <laughs> the guy like finished the buds training which is the hardest navy training in the world with a broken knee like are, are just, you serious that's insane how do you do that 
he he pushed through the pain. Look, he's I put downright psychotic. Like for anyone who hasn't read his book, I think it's in, I think it's powerful. Like if you're going What's to invest, can't hurt me. Oh, can't hurt me is the book. Okay, gotcha. Yeah. So if if anyone were to read a book this year, I'd say it's that one. Um, really, it's incredibly incredibly powerful. I'm going to write that down right now because I am looking for a new book to read. That sounds awesome. Let me know how you go, Ryan. I'm keen to, because uh, you're going to pick it up because he's just crazy. He just pushes through pain. <laughs> yeah. Whatever you're doing in life, in, in fitness, I think whether it's bodybuilding, whether it's cardio, whether it's calisthenics, whatever the modality is, if you read his book and I, I, I'm not affiliated with it, but I can almost guarantee that you're going to level up. In, in whatever way that could be. So yeah. I just felt, I'm just like, I've never run. I've never fallen. I've never kind of mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. that. And I just started running and I'm just like, you know, I really love this pain. I really love being out here. And it's very different. It's very mm-hmm. strange being out there. Cause you're not, you know, in the gym, you're training for maybe half an hour, maybe an hour, mm-hmm. like solid. But then when you, when you start training for running, it's like, oh man, I'm out here for two hours running. I'm out here for two and a half hours, maybe three hours. Mm-hmm. And so you, you eventually build over time and it's a very different pain mm-hmm. and you have to learn different strategies. So first you have to spend time with yourself for that long without mm-hmm. anyone else. No, like you don't have to be chasing something like you have to be there with your thoughts. Mm-hmm. And I think when you run, you'll come up with the best business ideas. You'll come <laughs> up with the best, uh, who do you have to call? Oh man, I miss this guy so much. I'm going to call him. And because mm-hmm. you just by yourself for so long, like you can have music coming in, you can have podcasts coming in, but your thoughts will overpower all of that. And mm. I think you'll, you'll find that you'll think a lot of, and I'm guessing based on the context of your podcast, a lot of people don't maybe do so much cardio because it's all like bodybuilders <laughs> and stuff. So I'm just bringing it back to basics to where you no, no, no. kind of go. I, I am so interested in hearing about this because I never hear this perspective. So like, this is great to me. I didn't know. I never really thought of, I guess, running for that long or even doing any sort of cardio for that long as being very meditative. So that's very interesting to hear. Yeah, For sure. It's very, very flow and Zen. And I think what it also teaches you mm-hmm. with strength training, I feel that it's a with running, it's a lot easier to get an injury than strength training. Yeah. And so because of that, you have to adapt the way that you move and you and everything because you have to stretch more. Mm-hmm. You have to really take care of your your TFL and your ITB, your ITB especially, which is on the, on the side of your quad. Like that's going to get really inflamed if you don't stretch and you're going to find it hard to walk. Really? Um, you need to make sure that you get your ankle mobility. Like you need to, you need to have a stretching routine if you're into running. Mm-hmm. If you're running 20 minutes a day, maybe 15 minutes a day, maybe you don't need one. Yeah. But if you're, if you're wanting to run 10 kilometers, maybe even have a, sorry, I'll talk mileage for a bit. If you want to have a weekly (laughs) mileage of maybe 20, Uh you need to be stretching. Um, Because when I started running, I wasn't stretching. I was getting up at 5am going for maybe a three, four mile run coming Mm -hmm. back and then going about my day. And that was just my daily routine. Okay. And so you're family- saying, you're saying quad injuries or like, uh, you, uh, I don't know the exact term you're using, but that's very common for running. Oh, it's very, especially knee, knee, knee and okay. ITB, oh, ITB, okay. which is like the outer of your outer of your thigh. It's really. like your, the tendon um, running up there. Yeah. It gets really inflamed. Mm, okay. Um, if you run a bad form, especially with your knee, because as you're running, it's very common to heel strike. Mm-hmm. And biomechanically, when you heel, when you heel strike, the issue is a lot of the pressure actually falls onto your knee, 
which okay. is why in any any time they've done a study or a review, and you can look at the rich literature, and I, I read the literature all the time, when we're looking at the totality of runners, whether you're professional or amateur or a hobbyist, mm-hmm. anywhere between 50 and 80% of runners will get a knee injury in six months of training. Okay, so wow. within a, if you look at a scope within the year, it goes up to 80%. Wow, it's 20% of people are avoiding an injury. That's stupid. A thousand runners, 800 people are hobbling around like with an injury. Yeah. Why do you think it's, um, why do you think the injury rate is so high? People just don't know how to stretch properly for it. People get really excited. So they go way too hard too quickly. Do you think it's because, sorry, I don't mean to speak over you, but do you think it's because people think that running is so accessible? Like there's not much of a learning curve right off the bat and they start getting better and keep pushing it and pushing it without learning. I think you're bang on. I think you hit the mm, nail okay. on the head because because inherently you think when you're a child, you learn to walk by yourself. It's natural. It's natural yeah. to walk. And so we think that running is natural mm-hmm. and really it's, it's to learn it properly. It's not. And okay. if you, if we look at studies where they've taken, uh, I think it was a hundred kids and they actually took them out of general school running uh, districts and, and coaching situations to mm-hmm. a privatized um, school where they actually teach you how to run properly. And you mm-hmm. follow these hundred kids, none of them got an injury. And this is a 10 year follow-up, no injuries. So when we're looking at running form and biomechanics, I think we just think we know it and we uh-huh. don't. We think we know how to swim. Yeah. But the problem with running is it's so much impact. Mm-hmm. It's a lot. If you weigh 160 pounds and you're bouncing around in your knee, the knee and the patella is not designed to take that much stress at mm-hmm. all. Yeah. And so biomechanically, if we're looking at the physics of it, of it, like I was mentioned before, if you heel strike, a lot of it's going to fall on your patella, which okay. is not what you want because that's when you're going to get really bad knee pain. And that's also connected to your ITB, which is going to inflame. Okay. That's a big problem. And also your ankle might flare up too. So where I think the opportunity lies for runners is kind of focusing on the midfoot and forefoot mm-hmm. strike. So if we look at like sprinters, for example, mm-hmm. the way that they're running sprinters generally have less injury statistically mm-hmm. because they're forefoot and midfoot. So they're just, they're leaning forward. Yeah. They're staying on their so toes, using, right? Correct. So they're using ah, gravity. Okay. So what happens biomechanically when you do that is the stress of your weight actually goes to your soleus Mm -hmm. which is connected to your gastrocnemius your calf Mm -hmm. muscle and then it also goes to your glute Mm -hmm. so you've got this powerhouse of a muscle the glute which generally as a society is actually inactive a lot of the time because we're sitting on our butts all the time (laughs) i just want to stand up right now and just do this podcast of standing up but yeah we you know every day that's why part of my stretching routine is doing glute bridges, even single leg glute mm. bridges every morning, just five to 10 reps. It will activate your glute before your run. Yeah. Necessary. Yeah. A lot of people have that problem with just like weak glutes and stuff just from sitting all day. It's very, very common. Oh, absolutely. And I think even with, um, you know, even if you're weightlifting like this, I, I wonder if you oh, have yeah. a regimen where you yeah. activate certain muscles, like if it's before because I've got a lordotic spine, usually mm-hmm. before I work out, if I do a weight session, mm-hmm. I'll still do glute bridges or I'll do like sumo squats to make yeah. sure that activation is there, yeah. warm up the muscle, focusing on form, mm-hmm. making sure that your range of motion is there. And I found that 
the focusing on form in in the weight room actually is, is a very different experience to focusing on reps or one RMs. Have you mm-hmm. have you ever tried focusing on different aspects and modalities of weightlifting? That's actually very interesting. You you'd say that because I had a lower back injury before from actually deadlifting with it, my form wasn't absolutely terrible. It was actually pretty good, but I just had like a, a lower back pop, like a little disc uh, injury. And I rehabbed that for about a year. And you know, wow. what actually helped was engaging my glutes more. So I had to go through a bunch of uh, different methods for, for try, trying to figure out what the problem was and just engaging my glutes more for when I was deadlifting and stuff. Um, that really helped to protect my lower back and like using more quads and everything. So I, I definitely had the problem where, um, I would lift a lot more with my lower back than what I I probably should have, even though it was, it should have been uh, generally safe for a lot of people's build. But yeah, for me, like I wasn't using my glutes enough. I wasn't uh, used to it. So I started trying to cue my glutes more and like doing a bunch of activation techniques and stuff for that. And like really trying to cue just like your glutes and like a lift and stuff and that protecting my lower back. And I, ever since I haven't had problems. <laughs> That's awesome, dude. I'm so glad to hear. Cause it's, sometimes it's just as simple as cueing, which yeah. I mean, I'm only talking from my experience. I'm guessing you're quite similar. It might only take a minute to five minutes to really yeah. get a proper cue and a warm up. And in the long run, like if you're in the weight room and I, I talk about this a lot of running, because again, we're prone to injuries. Mm-hmm. If you're if you love being in that weight room and you just, you love maybe the community, like there is a community behind all of For this, sure. whether it's running or weightlifting. Yeah. I don't want to be running until I'm 35 or 40 and then just be like, Oh, I used to run, but then my knee pain and yada, yada, yada. Like I want to run exactly. when I'm 100 years old, bro. Exactly. And I think, I think doing these five, 10 minute stretches, mm-hmm. like really focusing on form, doing activation, the cues, um, foam rolling, maybe getting a massage gun, like mm-hmm. all these different things, it comes to sustainability. Mm-hmm. And, you know, yeah. sustainability is a term that is usually used for the environment, but I think you can use it to anything. Mm-hmm. Like you want to make your body sustainable, the exercises you do sustainable, because if you're passionate about working out and I, I tell you, hey, you can either do exactly what you're doing and you're mm-hmm. going to be a gun for five years or I'm just going to tweak a little, little thing here, add a few stretches and you can do this for 50 years, maybe more. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's like, what would you take? Yeah. And more people need to think like that in terms of just protecting themselves for the future, because like I'm thinking from, from my perspective, because I, I know uh, of so many people who are into lifting, who they, especially power lifters, they would go and uh, destroy themselves basically just kind of being careless and not thinking about the longevity of it. And then like, you know, they can't even lift it like in their late twenties. And it's just like, come on, like, you're going to just like ruin it all like in, in your early twenties when you couldn't even be at your full potential necessarily. Like if you were thinking about longevity and protecting yourself, you can hit your peak with that kind of stuff in your, in your mid thirties, late thirties, even later for sure. Um, so that's just a shame. So I'm, I'm glad to hear that, you know, you're thinking so much about the longevity of it because yeah, like you said, we want to do this stuff when we're like, you know, 60s, 70s, 80s. <laughs> we want to be that ripped. I mean, I don't know about you, but I love going into the gym and seeing like a ripped 50 year old. I'm just like, what is that? Like you nothing. Are, I yeah. fully respect that. Nothing gets me more inspired than that, man. That's it's so fucking cool. I love it. <laughs> So I'm curious about um, you, what, what is your personal uh, techniques for kind of like, you know, are you mostly running right now? Or is that kind of what you're doing? Like what, what is your reha- kind of your, your prehab, I guess, techniques for staying yes. safe? So my, for staying safe, I'm currently mostly running. 
Um, okay. I usually do. I usually have a rule of thumb that I work out about an hour a day. Okay. Usually, so I'll usually do about thirty minutes on an indoor bike. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's honestly just so I'm off my ass. Cause I just, you know, we wake up every day, you know, we check our phone and, and stuff like that. And I don't check my phone within the first 30 minutes to an hour of a day. Mm-hmm. But if I've got to do like social media stuff, like respond to messages, check emails, I'll go down to the indoor bike. Or if you have, um, maybe I could just do squats for like 30 minutes, but I'll just go on the indoor bike for 30 minutes and just reply to messages and stuff like yeah. that. Cause that'll, that firstly burns 300 calories. Great start to my day. Good mm-hmm. glute activation. Mm-hmm. So that's usually part of my everyday training. Yeah. At the moment, my training is a bit different. So I'm, I'm focusing a little bit more on stretching because I potentially am thinking about taking on a world record for squats. Oh, wow. Um, for the most amount of squats done in 24 hours. I'm, I'm thinking about it. Yeah. Uh, What's the number? 25,000. Holy shit. 25,000 body weight squats. Yeah. So that is mind blowing. Oh my God. At the moment, last week I did 3000 just to see how, how, how it felt. Uh Um, I did a thousand and that was pretty easy. I did 2000 and that was like, okay. Like I didn't find too much stress. Mm -hmm. Um, And then last week when I did 3000, I felt it was pretty easy as well. Um, Mm -hmm. When I got to about 2900, I started feeling like, no pain, no pain, a lot of pain on like my legs and stuff. Yeah. The only problem with it is the pins and the needles in the foot, like it, your feet die a little bit. So, <laughs> but I did it in two and a half hours. Okay. Um, so, you know, it's not the worst amount, um, but at that pace, I could beat the world record by almost 4,000 squats. So I'm, I'm thinking about it. So at the moment, I'm just focusing on stretching any form of endurance training. So with endurance, it's a different world because mm-hmm. we try to focus a lot more in our heartbeat. Mm-hmm. So with different, I'm not sure if you've heard of like zone training. Not really. So you've got different zones of your heart rate. So zone one. Oh, like yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Zone two is, is generally from memory about 60, 70% of your max heart rate. So the more you train on zone two, the more endurance you'll build up and aerobic capabilities. So when we're talking about running, this is a huge trap that people fall into. People just think- uh, I'm sorry. Go- I'm sorry, Tom. Did you say, what was the heart rate for uh, zone two? I just missed that. I think, was, I think it was about 70% of your max 70, heart rate. Okay, gotcha. Okay. Yeah. Um, I'll just double check. Yep. So I just double check. Zone two is 60 to 70% of gotcha. heart rate max. Okay, that's good so to know. When we're, when we're saying that kind of stuff, the reason people can run a long time is because- the, the trap that people fall into. And it's funny because I've fallen into it myself. So I, I see it and I, I laugh, but I'm like, I feel your pain. Yeah. People go for a 5k run or, or three mile or whatever it is. And they just sprint and they're like, I'm done. And you're sweating. But all of a sudden, like their times are good, but they're not getting better. Like they can't run further. And because what you do is you have to force yourself to slow mm-hmm. down. Even if you have to walk part of it. Mm -hmm. So if you run three miles and you can run it in 30 minutes, Mm -hmm. you have to sometimes maybe even force yourself to run it in 40 minutes. Okay. So it's, it's that concept of one step back, two steps forward, Mm -hmm. because what you do is when you slowly build up your mileage on zone two, your heart adapts Mm -hmm. and you can stay at like my zone two is like about 140, 150 beats per minute. My heart. Okay. So, what I want to make sure is that my body burns the least amount of calories for the long time. That's the goal of endurance. To be more so efficient. 
Absolutely. So my okay. goal is just to train sometimes as long as possible. Mm -hmm. And that's just it. So mm -hmm. for me today, maybe I'm thinking about going for like a 40 kilometer bike ride. So that might take mm -hmm. me maybe an hour and a half, two hours. It's the, the pain is that it takes so much longer than weight training. That's, yeah. that's the big yeah. downfall. Like you weight training, you can pump in, like get a nice high heart rate. Cause you just really want to break down the muscle fibers, get big, get good rounded sculpted muscles but with endurance it's all about your heart health mm -hmm. um, and your cardiovascular capability so when it comes to trying to train for these kind of events if if i don't know i mean i'm sure we'll talk about the marathon and stuff but mm -hmm. training to like that kind of capability you know takes a long time mm -hmm. if you are at a couch right now and can't run a mile and you want to run a marathon it would take it's going to take you about eight months mm -hmm. eight months to a year to train to that kind of level that makes um, sense and to be clear, and this is something I've had to find out um, over a lot of pain. If you think doing a marathon is healthy, I would, I would probably disagree with you. Um, I, so I've I, heard don't, also. <laughs> I don't think it's very healthy. When I was growing up, I'm like, people who run a marathon, they're a spitting image of health. This is the person uh -huh. I want to be. And that's what I kind of strived for. And then when I ran it, I'm like, yeah, look, I don't know. My ankle's inflamed. I'm in a lot of pain. Yeah. Um, I can't really walk straight. I was stiff for about four <laughs> days. I just, and for those who don't know, a marathon is 20, I think in mileage, 26 miles or 27 miles. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. And you know, that's not health. And so I think when it comes to cardio, which is a lot of what we're talking about, and if you want to train, I think, and especially for your listeners, which I'm guessing is, is weightlifting. I think there's an opportunity to, I mean, do you incorporate cardio into your regime? Yeah, actually, um, I usually do like an hour, uh, either twice, once or twice a week for bike riding. And then lately I've been trying to beat my mile record. So I'm in, I've been going to the track just running, you know, uh, twice a week or something. Uh, and then besides that, I sometimes just go on like morning walks, which if you want to call cardio, I'm, I just kind of do it just to move a little bit more. And then I do like some jump roping here and there. I love it. I think... I would almost call walking cardio. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I think, yeah. I, think I, I generally strive for like a, I don't know, a rushed walk. That's, yeah. that's what mm -hmm. I would call cardio. Yeah. But I think going to, I think you're bang on. Like, I think your aesthetic with your body is going to be completely different now that you've added in cardio. It's, it's mm -hmm. weird. Yeah. How, like being so into bodybuilding, how, how do you find... Like, do you find your mentality while doing the cardio different? Like, how do you feel afterwards? Is it different pain? That's funny, man. <laughs> a lot. Yeah. Like you said, a lot of lifters just like don't do cardio and um, they're scared. Yeah, maybe they are. Yeah. It, it's a different kind of suck. Honestly, it, it can really, really suck for some people. Um, it, it's very different than like the burn you feel of like lifting though, but it, it definitely has its own level of uh, sucking. But um, yeah, I forced myself to do it. I, I kind of, it grew on me. Um, I've been doing cardio regularly for about like, uh, I don't know, about about a, about a year, I'd say. Maybe, maybe a couple of years, like very regularly. Before that, I was kind of like one of those bros who was just like, eh, like I don't really care about doing cardio that much. But like, I'm getting older now and I want to like keep my heart healthy. So I've been doing at least like two, two to four days per week of cardio. Yeah. And it doesn't have to be that hard. Like, like if, if we touch back, I love that you're doing that and full props to you because a lot of people get sucked into the hole and bodybuilders yeah. get scared of losing a lot of muscle. Yeah. Um, which isn't true. 
yeah, which isn't true. true either. Um, it's not what the paper, it's not what the literature shows. It's not what yeah. the science says. Um, yeah. It's a bit of bro science. I'm sure if you went from doing, um, if you just straight up went to like 20 hours a week of cardio, you would, you might lose some muscle if you're not yeah. eating adequately. But if yeah, you're just adding sense. in a few hours a week, like, yeah, can go wrong. Yeah, definitely. And and I think more people should do it because like I'm, I'm talking, I'm speaking of the perspective of people who are into lifting and not doing cardio. I think more people should do it just to keep their heart healthy, you know, just to, and also just to feel better. Oh, for sure. Like, and, and it's what it is like, it's sustainability. I think yeah. when it comes, if you want to lift for longer, cardio is just gonna, it's going to prolong your lifting ability. Yeah. And I'm not yeah. saying train for a marathon, like again, mm-hmm probably not healthy. Yeah. What I'm saying is I think the opportunity to add 30 minutes to two hours a week of, Mm -hmm. and it's, I'm not saying go suck, like go really into the pain cave. Yeah. Like when we're looking at zone two training, maybe zone three. So like 80, 70 to maybe 75, 80% of your max heart rate, Mm -hmm. you know, that is really going to prolong your health. You're going to have more energy because it's going to, really it's sculpting your muscles in a different way Mm -hmm. and i think i think it's a really good opportunity for sustainability for for specifically weightlifters which is which is awesome and i love that you incorporate that yeah i even say like so anyone who i'm like friends with who uh, you know wants to hear my advice or whatever (laughs) i always say like in the very least if your main goal is like lifting lifting more weights you know building muscle whatever um, if you perform, if you improve your work capacity through cardio, uh, meaning like you can do more reps in a set or whatever, without like burning out, gassing out from not being able to get enough oxygen in, um, that's going to help like crazy. So like doing a little bit of cardio, improving your work capacity, your heart health and everything that's going to apply to your lifting later, because you can just get more reps in a set or something without, you know, totally burning out. Oh, Absolutely. I love that. You could work out for longer. Imagine yeah. that. Imagine the gains you can get from the increased ability of fitness because you can get more reps in what now my eight reps, I can do 10 reps of and, and exactly incremental changes mm-hmm. over the course of a week, a month or a year add up to a lot. Like that is yeah. a lot. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Everything just kind of compounds on top of each uh, itself, you know, mm, for sure. I think I think a study that came out, I think it was early this year, really kind of brought that home for me. And mm-hmm. it actually looked at um, people who eat on meal prep, like eat all their meals from home compared to people who eat out the restaurant. I think yeah. it was one dinner uh, a week or uh-huh. no, one dinner a day, sorry, that they ate out at a restaurant. And what they actually found was over the course of the week, they consumed four to 500 extra calories on average, and now looking at the course of a year, that ended up being a, equivalent to 177 Mars bars. Oh and my God. It just, it's a lot. It's like, I that think, really I adds think, up. Oh man, yeah. I think it was like three or four kilos of butter. Like it was just a lot of calories. And where was that study that, conducted? I have no, I, I could, I'll look, I'll message it to you and I'll, um, so you can include in the show notes for people to have a look at. Yeah. Well, because, I was going to say, I mean, if that was conducted in like the United States or something, it would explain a whole lot of things here. <laughs> you guys, you guys get a lot of funding around there for studies like that. So I, I hundred percent would, yeah. it might, well, it was obesity. either Australia or, or US. Obesity is so bad. Yeah. It's a bad <laughs> problem here. So it makes sense why there'd be so much funding. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's a, it's a bad problem really everywhere. I know yeah. the US yeah. is really leading, leading the way, but you know, Australia, <laughs> I think 
I think with Australians, I think sometimes we think, oh no, we're not like them. But when we look at the math, <laughs> we get 43% of our calories from ultra processed foods. Mm, and wow. the, the U S gets six, 62, 60% or 62% on average of your total calories from processed food. Yeah. And one in one in five people in the UK get 80% of their calories from processed foods. So one in five. Wow. One in five. It's, it's nothing, you know, there's, I don't know if there's a country out there where you can be really proud of, unless you're in like, you know, Africa where they have the mm. lowest rate of heart disease because they're consuming over 30 grams of fiber a day and they don't have the Westernization of diets there. You know, what's funny. You said over 30 grams of fiber a day, right? I'm, I'm, for someone like me and you, who's on a plant-based diet, 30 grams of fiber seems like literally nothing, doesn't it? It's nothing. But the average <laughs> American and the average Australian gets 17 grams. The Amer average American gets 15 grams. A day. Yeah, that's it's and that blows my mind because uh, I think an average day for me is like it's an upwards of 125 grams of fiber sometimes. Holy which... guacamole! That's a <laughs> lot of fiber. I don't. I haven't counted my like I haven't got onto chronometer or anything and counted my fiber in a while, but yeah. I, I count my plants. So how many mm -hmm. different unique plants a week I get and I get well over 50 different plants a week. So oh, wow. Okay. In, when I start my day, my first day of the week, I'll hit like 30 plants and then I, I mm. sl slowly repeat them. But I think if you, I think a good rule of thumb is if you're getting 50 different plants a week, mm -hmm. you're good. Like the, the minimum recommended is 25 yeah. based on RD, RDA, but I would say 30 or more, like we're sweet. If you're hitting a hundred, like that takes time to build up, but good on you, bro. That's amazing. That's um. so you said different types of plants, right? Yep. Oh, wow. I never thought about it that way. I usually just count like how many servings of fruits and vegetables I get per day, but mm. I'm kind of guilty of eating a lot of the same fruits and vegetables. And like, there's definitely something to be said about that kind of variety. So if you do count how many plants you're eating per week, that definitely makes sense of like why that's a good idea because you're eating such a variety of vitamins and minerals there. Yeah. So what you want and why that's really important is every plant. Mm -hmm. So there's 300,000 edible plants and human society usually relies on like seven um, for a majority <laughs> of our calories. And so yeah. why we want a majority or a fast, why eating the rainbow is amazing mm -hmm. is because certain foods love certain foods. So everyone's heard the whole, always have a citrus in with an iron based food. So mm -hmm. if you have kale or spinach, always make sure you douse it with some sort of lemon or, or lime because it increases iron absorption. Mm -hmm. And every plant has its own unique, what's called a polyphenol. Mm -hmm. And these polyphenols create different compounds in your body that are linked to slowing down the process of aging, a healthy gut bacteria reverses conditions and, and really denies the development of things like gastrointestinal problems so mm -hmm. leaky gut is a big problem in people that lack fiber because what happens when you consume foods is a lot of it gets stuck in i believe the upper colon and what really goes down into your gut and gets processed is the fiber so your gut needs to eat this fiber and they create beautiful compounds and polyphenols is what we want a vast variety of mm -hmm. because every polyphenol is going to be good for like not to take a really reductionist mindset but this polyphenol is great for energy this one's great to reverse you know heart disease or not reverse heart disease but like diabetes or, or whatever it is sure sure and so we want a vast majority of that because you know when we look at a lot of different 
let's say tribes in Africa and stuff where they've got a, a very low, I think it's like 2% in certain tribes rate of cardiovascular disease. Mm-hmm. They're eating upwards of 60, 60 plants a week. When, you, when you're looking at beans, nuts, legumes, fruits, mm-hmm. vegetables, tubers. And so we want to adopt and learn from these populations that have the least amount of disease. And when they're saying eat lots of fiber and eat a vast majority of uh, like a large variety of plants, eat the rainbow. We're like, yeah, yeah let's do that. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> it's funny because I'm sure your average uh, American here probably eats like a grand total of maybe 10. It's like what potatoes probably makes up like most of that. <laughs> Well, what's in a burger? Tomato, lettuce. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, and cucumber maybe. Yeah. But you know, I think it's I think it's slowly on the rise. I think what I've been talking about recently, which is awesome about health. I mean, I don't know how long you've been really health conscious for, but I mm-hmm. found maybe maybe even ten years ago or eight years, eight years ago, the conversation was, I'm trying to eat or at least in my circles, I'm trying to eat more meat to stay healthy and to get more protein. But now people, I think are starting to realize I'm trying to eat more veggies now. Like yeah, I'm that, really up my fruit intake and people are not scared of growing. that anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so what, is, what is your diet kind of consist of on a, a day-to-day basis anymore? Um, I, I'm pretty, I'm like 80, probably to 90% whole foods. Okay. So I'll generally stay away from anything processed. Like I'll mm-hmm. have it because I'm not trying to reverse any kind of condition. I'm not right. trying to yeah. like, I, I'm in, I'm pretty healthy, I think. Mm-hmm. So I'm not, tr- I'm pretty lenient, but I'll have a lot of fruit and veg. Mm-hmm. Like when we come back from the market, we go to the farmer's market, my partner and I, we come back with bags mm-hmm. of just fruit and veg. And we have that classical Tumblr photo with just the fridge full of veggies. And I think <laughs> that's really important. And it's something that I've worked towards. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know about you, but when I first started eating plants, like, man, I was eating the same three dishes again and again and again. <laughs> yeah. And I think slowly, and what's really cool, and there's science to show this, your taste buds change. Yeah. Not only that, within a week, actually starting from 48 hours up to a week, your complete microbiota will yeah. change. And so you'll start exactly. to crave different foods. So for me, it's whole foods. So things like yeah. um, bananas, pear like i just love fruits that is like my ultimate snack and every now and again i'm a sucker for protein bars because the fat and the sugar and the salt draws me in yeah of course of course of course i have my weaknesses but for <laughs> me like my ideal day just to to get a bit more specific i'll mm-hmm. i'll usually start if i if i have breakfast sometimes i skip it but mm-hmm. if i have breakfast it'll be a smoothie bowl yeah so that smoothie bowl will have at least 20 different plants oh wow um, what do you put in there so the actual base itself um, is acai. It'll have banana. It'll have actually freeze sprouts. Okay. So not that I grow sprouts, but sprouts have a lot more nutrition than their mm-hmm. counterpart, um, I guess, vegetables. So like broccoli sprouts will have about 10,000 times the vitamin mineral density as broccolis themselves. Oh, so wow, sprouts have a really potent form of nutrition. Uh, so and they're pretty, you, uh, the flavor profile is pretty mellow, right? Like it's not overpowering. 
Some like alfalfa, I found that it's quite like minty and bitter. Oh. So like I add alfalfa sprouts onto like salads and things like that. Okay. But I, I get like a crunchy sprout combo or call something like that in the shops and you can get different bean sprouts and alfalfa and all of that. Mm-hmm. The best one's broccoli sprouts. If you were to add a sprout to your diet, mm-hmm. in my opinion, not to, they're all great, but broccoli sprouts really give a good bang for buck. Okay. So I'll usually add some frozen one of those. I'll add maybe some beetroot um mango i usually have five fruits and they kind of mm-hmm. cycle through i'll always have acai and banana though because i think that flavor is just great. yeah 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 um so in the base with the sprouts there'll be about eight vegetables or eight fruits sorry and then i'll put in a bit of soy milk or oat milk i generally like oat milk just because uh-huh. the environmental impact is slightly better than uh-huh. soy milk um and it's a it's only 10 percent oats and majority water but it still gives that creamy texture so yeah right um, not to consume too many i guess not that i'm worried about calories but it's just the environmental impact and the calories it's a bang for buck isn't soy milk pretty um how how to say it uh it's pretty it's not very bad for the environment though right no it's great it's so i thought almond was like out of the whole plant-based milk you know, that's like the one that's like the uses the most water or something. Yeah. Is that true? I think it's macadamia. I think it's Maca- macadamia. Okay. Macadamia. Yeah. Uh, that's pretty rare here. Almonds are up there. Yeah. We mm. don't have a lot of macadamia milk. Like it's, I've tried it and I think it's very good, especially in yeah. coffees. If you like to make lattes, oh, I love I coffee. Considered it. Yeah. I'll definitely consider it as a treat. I yeah. think if you're looking for the eco option, I would go soy or oat. In my gotcha. oat is slightly okay. better, but I honestly just like the taste. So I, I, I yeah. put the eco like very, very small sum gain, but okay. soy phenomenal, both everything crushes dairy. So we're good. Yeah. I usually just drink soy milk because, uh, yeah, I just love the texture. <laughs> I've been oh, drinking it since sure. I went vegan years ago at this point. I love soy. And we've got some amazing phytoestrogens in there that I'll link to, uh, weight loss, um, regulating your hormone and appetite. So we've got a lot of really good compounds in soy that we like, like different isoflavones and stuff yep. like that. Um, but the people like to demonize uh, phytoestrogens a lot and that's a yeah. whole subject in itself. <laughs> oh man, we can dive into it, but essentially it's just the confusing nature of the name estrogen in yeah. there. Yeah. Estrogen is just a, it's a, it's a sex hormone that we need in our body to function. Um, we don't want too much or we don't want too little. Mm-hmm. Um, I think where it comes to become demonized is that story of soy causes man boobs. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. But, you know, just before we move on, that was, that was based on an anecdotal. So one person study um, story of this guy who was actually consuming three liters, which is oh, three liters is about what five pound of soy milk a day. Yeah. Um, and actually developed uh, soy man boobs a little bit. <laughs> Um, but you know, if you're consuming three liters of yeah. any kind of milk a day, I'd probably say just chill a little bit, yeah. um, <laughs> like maybe dip it down to one and a half, maybe, yeah. maybe one, like, but I wouldn't be, I'd say three, even if you have dairy milk, whatever milk it is, mm-hmm. three liters is just too much. <laughs> yeah. I mean, obviously like an N equals one study is not going to prove anything, but also the guy probably was a high, uh, equal producer, which is like. A type of uh, they they basically convert phytoestrogen into like a more active form in the body is as how I understand it at least, and um, yeah, I mean that's just it's it's pretty rare I would say. So for your average person consuming like multiple servings of soy a day, literally no problem at all, and if anything, very good for you. Oh, absolutely. If we look at these counts of uh, Southeast Asia, which actually produce 
and consume the most amount of soy. I think at one stage it was about 50% of their diet from soy. Yeah. Um, you know, the, the lowest, they have no counts of these man boobs or yeah. so-called <laughs> testosterone, um, I guess, differences. And when we're, when we're studying uh, vegans in general, I was actually just going through a bunch of studies yesterday because um, I've got a post going up, I think tomorrow or something, calling out Andrew Huberman um, because I'm not sure if, you, if you're familiar with his show, but he's a neuroscientist okay. at Stanford. And he kind of had a podcast episode where he said he consumed butter. Mm-hmm. So because it has cholesterol and he wanted that cholesterol to convert mm. into testosterone and estrogen. And, and I, the, and he's smart in a lot of ways, but nutrition uh-huh. maybe isn't his forte. <laughs> and so when we're looking at populations of vegans, because a lot of people douse veganism as this testosterone lowering symptomatic thing yeah. or diet. Yeah. When we look at populations specifically in the US, there's actually a study by Cambridge looking at 196 males. So we're males. So I'm going to talk about a male study here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they compared 196 vegans and they found that not only did we have the same amount of testosterone and estrogen as the meat-eating counterparts, but we actually had 9% less yeah. insulin-like growth factor one. Mm-hmm. And IGF-1 is linked to a variety of diseases. We really don't want it in our bodies. Um, it's yeah. linked to different types of tumors and cancers. It's linked to cardiovascular disease. We, we just don't want it. Essentially, it grows malignant cells um, in my understanding. So we don't want mm-hmm. IGF-1 in our body. And if we can... And, and we need to ditch that myth that vegans have less testosterone and estrogen because we don't. Yeah, I think I'm actually familiar with that study too. And there's also one, there's a meta-analysis on soy consumption in men. And it was a big study um, showing no difference in men who consumed multiple servings of soy per day on testosterone levels. So that's a, that's a very popular study. Anyone can find that online if they're interested. So to sum it up, soy does not lower testosterone levels <laughs> no no it doesn't it's 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 something that was just created by this n equals one study yeah and the media kind of took the headline and just kind of rolled from them i think we're kind of getting away from it a little bit with the advent of lots of vegan bodybuilders coming up and for sure different fitness like when we look at the tokyo olympics that's happening right now yeah we've got like 11 vegan athletes there i think i, I can't really? like we've got a few aussie vegan sprinters up okay. there like in the in the u.s soccer team we've got um uh alex alex morgan i think her name is we've got another two vegans in the soccer team and they're, they're dominant we've got a skateboarder we've got a fencer we've got a bmx rider like there's <laughs> a lot of vegan mainly from the u.s because obviously the 300 million kind of outpowers a lot of the uh-huh. world right um, yeah, yeah yeah but uh yeah that's so cool though people yeah, that's so cool to see that veganism is really growing. And I, I remember, uh, I think, was it the last Olympics where there was that, uh, everyone kind of talked about it, that was like in the vegan fitness community. Uh, there was the one American weightlifter, Ken, uh, oh, Kendrick, the, was it yeah. Kendrick Ferris or Kevin? Kendrick Ferris, that's Kendrick the one. Kendrick Ferris. Yeah, yeah, he was vegan. He was the only one from the U.S. who went to uh, the Olympics from the, the U.S., um, he's such a beast and yeah and that guy's he, huge he's 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 huge he's huge holy guacamole like yeah. if you think you can't build muscle on a vegan diet yeah. man you know that guy is insane <laughs> I, seriously I fully, yeah. I fully respect even baboomium i baboomium is actually mm-hmm. the person who made me go vegetarian and oh really yeah before i was i was vego for six months before i went vegan and it yeah. was because of baboomium because so i'm like i was into bodybuilding at the time mm-hmm. so i was mm-hmm. 19 or something and i'm like mm-hmm. weights females like you know what i mean <laughs> and yeah. 
I saw him and I'm like, man, this guy is a straight up, like, he looks like he's eaten Wolverine. Like, I don't understand <laughs> what's going on here. And so I think it, it needs to get, but like, this guy can lift a car. Like, what yeah. do you want? Like, yeah. If someone's going to say that uh, they think a vegan diet is going to lower testosterone, look at that guy. It looks like the epitome of like masculinity all put into one like compact muscular ball. <laughs> Freaking he, he ate like, I, I don't understand, man. If he wasn't <laughs> yeah. vegan, people would say he eats babies. Like it's just. Yeah. Yeah. That dude's, uh, that dude's a beast. Yeah. Yeah. Seriously. That's, <laughs> that's great, dude. That's really cool to hear that there's uh, so many Olympians uh, now that are vegan, actually. That's great. So um, I wanted I wanted to pull it back a little bit to uh, kind of like your sort of training because I feel like we kind of gloss over it. But um, I know you were doing like the Goggins four by four by forty eight challenge, which mm. I know very little about at all. Yeah. Um, and you did a few other things, like you said you ran a marathon, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So how what is um, some of your training? How did some of your training go for that? I'm, I'm just curious. I, I, you don't have to get into it too much if you don't want to, but. Uh, Let's yeah. do it, bro. Let's dive deep. Okay, um, cool, cool. With the Goggins thing, it's something I haven't talked about too much, but it's uh, it was essentially the premise is you run four miles every four hours for 48 hours. So by the end of the 48 hours, you've done 48 miles, or for the Australians, it's about 77 kilometers. So, so do you, you don't sleep? Not really, no. <laughs> um, so essentially... For me, it started at 7 p.m. So the runs were 7 p.m., 11 p.m., 3 a.m., 7 a.m., 11 a.m. repeat. That's so easy. When I was talking at the beginning about stretching, that's something I really emphasized for this, um, I guess, challenge. Uh-huh. And when you're looking at running four miles, it's not a small distance, it's not a long distance, but it's enough to maybe build up lactic acid and, uh-huh. and maybe to make you a bit heavy. So I was really trying to prepare to not be sick and to, to not be sore. Those yeah. are my two biggest um, focuses. And when I'm, I was listening to Rich Roll, as you do, yeah. And I think Adam Skolnick, the co-host of the Roll On series that they have, they were talking about the show and Rich was time to talking about how to do it. And in ultra marathons and even in Ironman, so these ultra competitive events, people don't go hard 100% of the time. You have to be very strategic. Mm-hmm. So you have to run a certain amount, walk a little bit so you can run faster. Okay. So it's about staying again, like we talked about in zone two, mm-hmm. as long as possible. So you don't go gonna... all out for any of those miles or anything. No. Gotcha. No. It's, it's, it's sprinting very mm-hmm. different to ultra events. Cause you have to last a long time. And if you burn out, which a lot of people do mm-hmm. when they try this stuff, because the mentality is so different. Cause you have to hold yourself back. You're excited. You're ready to go. Yeah. You're G'd up. You had your coffee, whatever it is, <laughs> you know, you want to go, but mentally you have to, leave your ego beside and be like, Mm -hmm. I know this guy's running faster than me, but I'm running my own race and I need Mm -hmm. to run it in a way that works for my body, which means that I need to slow down my mileage. I need to pull it right back to which I'm comfortable making sure my heart rate and my Mm -hmm. numbers work out. And you have to really trust the numbers and not look at other people. For the Goggins challenge, did you do that alone or were there other people with you? 
Oh, okay. All by myself. So essentially my goal for nutrition, and I was talking to a few people on like Instagram and that were experienced in this kind of field. They said, try to limit your fiber intake. So you don't like oh. crap your pants and stuff like that. <laughs> um, I didn't listen to that. I'm like, oh yeah, maybe I'll do it. But I, I didn't. Yeah. Um, the, the goal was to have a smoothie, a small smoothie before every run. Uh-huh. And then to have a small meal or something physical after every run. Okay. That went out the window. That was the plan. Didn't work out. Why didn't it work it just, out? Because you don't feel like eating at three in the morning. Um, because your circadian rhythm really takes control. So after the first bit of running, I'm like, yeah, I feel good. So I, I ran. The goal was to run two kilometers, which is maybe 1.4 miles. Mm -hmm. And then walk about 100 meters. Mm -hmm. So run for 10 minutes, walk for one minute or two okay. minutes. And that was the goal. So every leg would be finished. Um, in about 40 minutes. So I was doing it really slow just to get it done. Okay. And I was having coconut water the whole time just to make sure my calories were really up because I knew if I'm running 48 miles, that's a lot of calories I'm getting through. Yeah. I need to make sure I'm replenishing my salts, my electrolytes and my water mm -hmm. and that in as, in as fast a way as possible. And since then, I know there's a lot of research done on like Gatorade, Powerade and coconut water that actually doesn't show much benefit or improvement at all compared to water. Oh, I really? I like the taste of coconut water, so I'll take it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Makes yeah. sense. The electrolytes help a bit, but like when we're looking at the grand scheme of things, it doesn't actually improve an athlete's performance. Apparently, according to this study, they looked at about a thousand individuals. Okay. But anyway, when, when you're when you're saying electrolytes, you're just referring to like sodium, magnesium, uh, potassium. Okay. Yeah, the things we lose in our sweat. That's okay. what I want to get back. And uh, Gatorade does it have all of that? I really just don't. I really don't. Coconut know. water. Oh, you, well, you're saying Gatorade or Powerade, right? Did they? Yeah, well, curious, they, they, they claim have, that. They claim They claim that. it. They claim yeah. They have electrolytes and things. I haven't had it in a long time. And if yeah. I have it, it's because of taste, not because of performance. Uh huh. Um, but, but apparently. But coconut do. water does, though. Coconut water has natural, like potassium and magnesium that we want okay. in our bodies. Yep. Okay, that makes sense. Just naturally, that's the way that the fruits. Uh, sure. Sure. Um, yeah, so I went out, did the first one, came back, I ate a pizza. Um, obviously, when you beforehand, always do my glute bridges. So just yeah. doing the glute thrust, I'm stretching my legs, doing the active warm up, um, going out, doing the run, coming back, stretching for five to 10 minutes every damn time. Mm -hmm. Like I had different foods like pizza, uh, pizza, pasta, a lot of carb centric dishes. Okay. Um, I didn't have any protein shake or anything, um, just carbs. Eventually when it got to like 11 PM, like you get back and it's maybe like, you know, by the time you stretch and maybe had a snack, it's 1am. Mm -hmm. So you have to like, you're wet, you know, I'm in Melbourne <laughs> at this stage too. So it's cold. Like the grass is, I was running around an oval in circles because that was the, probably the safest place to run at midnight. Yeah. Um, and so, and I did it without headphones just to get really painful, like get all the pain in. Damn. Um, you're crazy. <laughs> I respect it. I respect it, but it's crazy. <laughs> yeah. And like, you have to, you know, then you're showering, like you might, and then you have to like lower your heart rate a lot to sleep. Like yeah. your heart rates might be at like a hundred, but you need to be at like 50 to go to bed comfortably. And you're did, maybe so how much did you sleep? in bed. Um, maybe like an hour in between the 11 PM and 3 AM leg, maybe like another hour between the 3 AM and 7 AM. Okay. Like maybe two hours. Cause I was really tired by the 7 AM yeah. to 11 AM. And that's kind of where your circadian rhythm usually sleeps anyway. Okay. So that was the most amount of rest I got. And then I was good the whole next, as soon as the sun rose, like I'm like, yes. And then your circadian rhythm takes over. It's like, okay, go time. Let's go. Mm -hmm. I was still, I'm still busy. I'm working. I've got my, 
I'm a freelancer. So I was doing work in the middle of all these runs as well. Like I need to focus too. <laughs> That's so you insane. Gotta, you just got to go. And again, just drinking my coconut water, four miles, four miles, four miles. Just kept going, yeah. kept stretching, kept showering, just focusing on the stretching. And I was having a little, I was having a little, we call them, there's a brand called Up and Go here. It's like a, it's like a little protein thing, but it's just got, it's got fiber and protein. It's just a liquid thing. Cause you don't feel like eating. Yeah. I just could not eat. I was sick of eating. So I'm just like, oh, I just got to drink things like just coconut yeah. water, up and go. A little just bit, get something, something in. Just something in. Because I ended up running like three three legs without any food at all. Like just mm. drinks. You don't want to eat. Like, mm-hmm. And your body's starting to feel crap. My stomach's trying to turn already. So I'm not having the smoothest of bowel movements. <laughs> and then it was honestly not too bad. But those last, you know, four runs that it's like, you know, the... 11 p.m., 3 a.m., 7 a.m. Mm-hmm. was no, no, it was 3 a.m., 7 a.m., 11 a.m. That was the last ones, and they were the worst. It was brutal. Because, oh, brutal. Like the 3 a.m. one, I'm like, all right, I got to get up again. Because at this stage, you're 40 hours without sleep, like a proper yeah. sleep. And so your body's really starting to shut down. So I get up, and this is where I coined my phraseology that I've taken with me since then. And that's just, I just got to get it done. Yeah. So, like my, my partner helped a lot. So when I got back, sometimes she'd make like some toast or something, anything that I could potentially digest. So it's good to have a, someone supporting you, Yeah, um, which I think is really yeah. important for any kind of endurance event, whether it's a marathon or whether it's a freaking stupid Goggins challenge or, or whatever <laughs> it is. And so, you know, I just, when she's like, oh, how'd you go? I'm like, I just got it done. And I think that's a really powerful mentality. It's like, it wasn't good. It wasn't bad, but I, mm-hmm. I, I signed up for this. I signed up for the pain. I just got it done. And I yeah. think that's, that's a really big key that I took out of it. And then eventually when I got up for that 7 a.m. run, bro, I cannot explain to you the pain I was in. It was weird because my legs were okay, but my alarm went off my, I've got a Garmin and I've, the, the way that the alarm works is it freaking vibrates my whole hand uh-huh. and my whole hand's vibrating. I'm in bed. I'm like, holy crap, I can't move. Mm-hmm. Like my body is just lead. And I'm, I try to move my leg. I'm like, the hell's going on? I can't. Oh my like, God. It was just heavy like not my legs in pain like my chest my uh-huh. arms my neck like i felt like i was made of like tin like uh-huh. it was such a strange feeling that my body was really on its last legs so to speak right but i, I got out there man i was just limping i was just like come on i've just got to i'm hobbling on just one foot after another and you know i just got it done and that last kind of that 11 a.m run i've put the reel up on instagram and i just i tried to do it as fast as possible and it was my fastest run and i finished i'm just like yes that was your and fastest run that was my the last one was my fastest one because it's just how long, how long did it take for that one <sighs> maybe 30 minutes um something wow. like that so maybe 30 I, I forget completely but at the end of it i burnt because i did all the math and numbers and stuff i ended up burning just under uh, just over 8,000 calories. Uh-huh. Um, I did about 70,000 steps. Um, like it was just, it was craziness. And <sighs> That's insane, I can't wait to man. do it again. Oh my God. You really want to do it again? Yeah. This time I'm going to try to increase my speed by 20%. For all Holy the shit, dude. That, I mean, mad respect for that is crazy. I can't imagine that. I highly recommend it to anyone who really wants a different kind of challenge. And there's different modalities you can go about it. Looking back, 
I think a simulation would have been a smart thing to do. Like a lot of people now, like having found people on Instagram that did it themselves as well at the uh-huh. same time as me, they did like a simulation where they ran one mile every two hours for 24 hours. Mm-hmm. And that kind of just pre- prepared their body for the sleep deprivation and the consistent exercise and things like that. Yeah. So I think I, I will do it again because it's different. It's it's like a different pain. Like when you're like in sleep, <laughs> when you're like in sleep, world's just really different. It's uh-huh. your perspective is different. The pain you experience is different. Like sleep is, you know, there's the pillars of health, but sleep is the foundation that holds them all up. And mm-hmm. when you remove that, all the pillars start to get shaky. Like your appetite changes, your mood changes the way that you see people, maybe you're a bit, you got that blurry vision. Like, Mm -hmm. and I think again, David Golden Charles, not healthy, yeah, not healthy at all. So if you want to be healthy, don't do it. But if you want to challenge your mind and really callous your mind, and if I didn't do the David Golden challenge, I might not have finished the marathon Mm. because there's so much pain involved. Like the marathon that I did was four and a half hours of running. Mm-hmm. that's a long time to be on your feet and just, some straight. Would consider yeah. just straight and you're in a lot of pain. Like you're not going to finish that feeling fantastic. Like if you, you had to compare the two, if you had to compare mm-hmm. the two, which one do you feel like would suck more? I think there's a lot more training involved with the marathon. So I think it's mm-hmm. compound suck and it shows a lot more, uh, like, I don't know, like I wouldn't be able to run 48. I don't know if I'd be able to run 48 miles straight, but doing it in right. that kind of block is a different, it's a different game uh-huh. because the sleep deprivation, I'd, I'd probably say the David Goggins challenge sucked. More. It sounds, it sounds harder to me. Like it, it's just a sleep deprivation that kills you. Oh, for really sure, is. man. For like sure. you could walk a marathon, like say you can run, you can run halfway 13 mm-hmm. miles mm-hmm. of the 26 mile marathon. Like, you can walk 13 miles, whether mm-hmm. it takes you eight hours to do that's a marathon. Yeah. No, yeah. no one can take that away from you, but to get up and do four miles in 48 hours, every four yeah. hours, 48 hours. Like if you're too slow and you say, do that four miles in three hours, if you like walk it, mm-hmm. you've got like a 30 minute rest before you start again. Yeah. And so there's a lot more strategy and tactics involved. And I did that without any kind of gels. I, I don't know if I, oh no, I think I did use one, one energy gel, but with like the marathon, I think I use like five or six gels. So there's a lot, lot more help. I think you can use with the marathon, but I think you just, you're, you're not going to use a gel during the David Goggins challenge. Cause if that thing's got caffeine, you don't mm. want to risk being able to sleep less than the time. You oh, already have. Wow. Yeah. I didn't so think if about you drink that. A coffee too late. You've only got a one and a half hour window. Maybe that you have rest time. You yeah. don't want to impede that with not being able to sleep. Like, and then you've got the anxiety in your head, like, oh crap, I've got to sleep now because I've got to get up in an hour and a half. And you start like freaking out about mm-hmm. that. And I think it's, I think it's a marathon is more, a, they're both tests on your mental ability mm-hmm. and physical ability. But I think the, the mental servitude you have to have for the Goggins challenge is something else. Mm. Yeah. I mean, I can't even imagine, man. I, I, I think that's so cool that you did that, but like from an out outside perspective, I'm just like, 
damn, I'm just thinking about how crazy it is to be running and then only giving yourself like, you know, maybe an hour or two to sleep. That seems like the hardest part for me to me, like from an outside perspective, just like that lack of sleep, like kind of like what you're saying. I mean, that's blowing my mind. <laughs> Try it, bro. Let's do it. <laughs> Dude, I don't know if I keep if I keep on this route of cardio, man, I might have to one day, but uh, I'm already scared. <laughs> Yeah, it's good to be scared, man. You know, we don't do a lot of things in our lifetime that scare the living crap out of us. And I think it's a good exercise to, you know, like if I hadn't done the David Goggins challenge, what the hell are we talking about? Like maybe the marathon, like mm -hmm. it's, you have to do things that scare you because those are things that become good stories and good lessons to other people. They're like, that's the things that we can pass and have these amazing conversations with our friends, our family, potentially our children or grandchildren of things mm -hmm. that we did to challenge yeah. ourselves. So then inspire people around us to challenge ourselves. It doesn't have to be the freaking Goggins challenge. Like that's <laughs> stupid, but it's just an example to just do something that scares the crap out of you. If in a body middle perspective, just bench, you know, 150 pounds, like maybe 200, like just do things that push you not to a stupid mm -hmm. extent because you'll yeah. hurt yourself, especially with that kind of weight, but yeah, ease into it. Right. Yeah. But just the, the, concept of doing things in a fitness perspective that scare you yeah they make you grow yeah even outside of just fitness you know even just doing anything that would uh challenge you is going to help you grow too so anyone having a, a problem or a, i shouldn't say problem but anyone having some sort of issue in their life that they want to overcome just take little steps to get there you know and uh eventually they're going to overcome that issue and um yeah man like i, I that that's that's awesome to hear i think it's great advice everyone should uh should try to remember just keep challenging themselves love it ryan love it um so tom i have about i have a little bit more time uh before i have to run but i really want to hear some of your thoughts on like the environmental science stuff that you kind of mentioned mm. um i don't know i feel like that's like a whole subject that we could talk for so long about but um i was wondering if you think you have anything you can kind of touch on like the state of, um, you know, the environment right now, like maybe um, what we can do on an individual basis to try to help a little bit in our own ways. Yep. Okay. Let's is that, is that a good, is that a good way to kind of like let's segue it, into man. it? Let, maybe? Let's, let's, uh, let's do it in a way that is efficient with time. Yeah, I'm sorry. Uh -huh. I, I feel like this is something we could really, really talk about for a while. That's I know, right, man. There's a round two that's that's valid to come. Yeah, go, man. Exactly. I know you're really passionate about this too, and like I, I, I don't know a ton about it. Like I, I obviously cool. know the basics, but I'd love to hear your perspective on everything right now. Cool. Let's do it. Um, yeah. Obviously, when it comes to being plant based, I don't want to riff on that too much because the science is black and white. Essentially, we want to be using the least amount of resources to get the most amount of, I guess, value. Mm -hmm. So in this earth that we live on, there's finite resources. And I think that really needs to be understood because sometimes out of sight, out of mind is something we carry with us in different mm -hmm. levels. And understanding that this is not the case. Everything is finite, especially with what we deal with. That makes you really appreciate and think about what you need in this world mm -hmm. so uh, for those that are still consuming animal products you just have to think what did it take to produce what resources did it take to produce this plate of food and when it comes to growing let's say 
when you have a child, it takes a lot of resources to raise them out to be 18 or 19 or 20 years old before they move out and start to use resources of their own. It's no different with raising an animal. And a lot of people will know that that have pets like dogs and cats. And so when we're raising a cow, we have to do things like feed them. Mm -hmm. Um, It's not only grass that a lot of them eat, but it's grains like wheat and soy that they use. And what we have to look at and what science has looked at very in depth is how much grain does it take to feed these animals, whatever livestock that may be, chicken, cow, pig, and how much calories do we get back in the form of, of their meat? And then let's compare that to how much would we have to eat if we just skipped the animal and just fed us directly. And what they found in average with say a cow is if we feed them 19 calories of this grain, we would get one calorie back to us in the form of meat. And so what that says to me in a really numerical and analytical way is we've lost 18 calories in there and that could maybe be okay 150 years ago. But when we have things like starvation and a lot of the planet, I believe it's like about 150 million people not having access to clean water and food, we're, we're using these resources that could otherwise solve someone else's suffering. And so when I'm looking at land use in total and I'm comparing uh, beef to say a lentil patty. I'm not feeding the lentils anything besides water, which is also being fed to the cow. So there's less resources to make this patty. And so we can take that to anything. And people who think they're high and mighty being plant-based, which yes, you've stepped in the right direction, but there's still solutions that you can come across. I think the biggest thing you can do is stop consuming uh, beef and lamb chicken has a lot better resource uh, intensity. So like I mentioned, 19 calories to one for the cow chickens are nine to one. So instead of losing 18 calories in the feed to plate ratio, we're only losing eight. And now when we're looking at food waste, which is actually one of the biggest drivers of climate change, mm-hmm. and it's not talked about a lot. So 33% of all food produced is wasted. And that is enough to feed a lot of the planet. So 1.3 billion tons a year, that's enough to completely eradicate starvation. And so food waste is something that we can all look to do, especially if we, regardless of our dietary patterns, food waste is especially important if you consume animals. So because we have this loss of calories, like at 19 to one that I talked about with the beef specifically, if we're Firstly, using all the resources to get that onto our plate and then wasting that we have, we have just completely ruined someone else's chance at food. Because again, you have used this finite resource, not infinite, finite resource and wasted it. And so I think it's really important to be conscious about food waste. Um, And you can be conscious in different ways. So I think meal prepping is a really good way to be conscious about food waste. So I know in the bodybuilding scene, meal prepping once a week, putting it in the fridge or freezer and then warming it up, that's one way to help. And not shopping when you're hungry, big mistake. <laughs> Don't do that because you're going to over shop, over consume, and then you're just wasting. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And there's a lot of different problems for me, particularly once you've done all that, for me, it means when I go to the farmer's market, I pick out fruit and veg that looks a little bit bad. I pick the imperfect ones mm -hmm. because they're the ones that are going to get wasted. And a lot of time when you go to your supermarkets, like your Walmarts or whatever it is, they've already wasted the food yeah. because they've thrown out food that they think won't look good to the consumer. And so I don't want to pin all the blame on consumers. This is a huge change that needs to happen within a government and a company and a business level. We can, if you're in a position to, position to change that, we can look to countries like France that has made it illegal for supermarkets to throw out edible foods. And you get slapped with a huge fine if they found out that you do throw out food. And the biggest food waste is actually fruit and veg. So 45% of all fruit and veg produced is, what, is gone. It's only 20% to 30% when it comes to meat. So it's very, very important. If food waste, I'm just going to continue with the knowledge. I don't want to bore people too much. I'm trying to talk nice and slow because- No, this is great. This is great. It's, it's very important. If food waste was a country, a physical country, it would be the third largest emitter of greenhouse gases in total across the board globally. That is a humongous- impact on climate change and, and climate change isn't this fairy tale so obviously we all i don't want to i think people have disassociated climate change it's this like sexy thing oh, i'm climate friendly or whatever it is but it's here we we see it every day we don't see it actually we're really privileged i live in australia we i see or we actually see a bit our farmers get affected quite a bit in the u.s maybe not so much guess who's copping it nepal these countries in like Southeast Asia, Central Africa, because they have flooding and droughts that actually remove all their crops. So these farmers that are focused on subsistence farming, subsistence farming, meaning they farm for their family. They farm to live, not to sell. And they just sell whatever the excess they have. They can't get food anymore because the poorest nations in the world are getting affected the worst because we have the resources in westernized countries to, I guess, modify our effect. So if we don't have enough water, we buy water, we manufacture water, we take it from dam because we've got the wealth to do that. They don't. So these countries are physically dying. People are physically dying and committing suicide because they don't have the resources to feed their family. And so we need to stop thinking about climate change as this fairy tale, this thing that might happen. It is happening. So things like, and I don't, I don't want to finish on doom and gloom, so I'm sorry, but things like food waste is incredibly important. That's why things like incorporating more plants to your meals. And that could be meatless Mondays. That could be then turned to meatless Tuesdays. That could be every, every time you choose plants, you're part of the solution not only for the planet, but for your body. See how you feel. We know that it's more anti-inflammatory. I won't go on the health side of things because the environment's generally where I shine. Mm. But you can be part of the solution and we can as consumers, but it's not all on us. So I don't, I don't want anyone to wear the brunt. It's, it's governments too. It's the companies too, businesses. They have a role and a responsibility. So you, if you're in a position to vote, vote, especially for uh, parties that have a vested interest in saving the environment. That's, that's powerful. That's mm -hmm. what you want in life. We, I think people, people think that they don't have the power, but we do. We do have the power. And that's kind of what I wanted to finish on. And food is a huge driver. It's not the biggest driver. Energy, I believe it's like 70%. So 
So, you know, transport, uh, powering buildings, uh, manufacturing steel and iron. This is a lot. Agriculture just accounts for 17% of global, global greenhouse gases. But it's where the easy, it's a low hanging fruit. We can easily change our dietary patterns. 42% of Australia is flexitarian. Mm. 42%. That's about 12 million people that when given an option could potentially choose a plant. And I don't know what the stats are for other places like the US, but I'm, I'm thinking it's a similar trend because the mentality between the two countries, you know, when it comes to food, it's, it's very similar, not the same, not too different, mm -hmm. but I think people are leaning that way. And the fact is that because of the way that we're leaning towards our greenhouse gas emissions have a chance to reduce and sequester. And because of that, we're going to, um, deforest lands less we're going to um fund farmers that are producing things like lentils and fruits and veggies things that are more profitable for them for their families it's not just about us but we're gonna make we, we have a i guess an opportunity to help people that actually grow the food the important people but yeah that, that's my message it's it's not all doom and gloom and we, we do have a lot of power, which is awesome. And when you run the numbers, it is possible for us to reverse climate change. But it requires us to admit that we're not doing a fantastic job. We're in a pretty crap position, but we, the planet will be okay. It will survive. We, on the ha other hand, might not. So that's, that's my message to do better, people. Come on, we got this. <laughs> Dude, uh, yeah, that was uh, that was very well said. Um, I loved it. That was brilliant. <laughs> what a monologue. Sorry, bro. I just no. kind of went on a little rant. <laughs> no, 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 no. That was so great. I want to chop that out and make it its own thing because that's I loved it so much. Um, there's so much to unpack there, I feel like. Um, I guess the first thing I think of is that I, I really like that you're um, – Kind of, you're kind of optimistic in a way, I, I, which I think is great because a lot of people who are, who kind of know the state of the world and, um, you know, I think a lot of us tend to kind of gear towards the negative aspects and really focus in on that because it's, it's easy to when you really know what's going on. But also, if you kind of look at, you know, a lot of the facts that you kind of, you, you pointed out. Plant-based options are becoming such a, a big thing globally. Like uh, even just here in New York City alone, like I can go to any place, almost any restaurant and grab like a plant-based option. Like they don't market it at all, but there's almost always like a, a Beyond Burger or like a, like a Black Bean Burger or like, you know, whatever. There's like some sort of like, you know, vegan friendly op alternative to a, a popular, you know, meat-based option or something. So that's great. I mean- yeah, like your average person can is is going for those uh, those plant based options more, which is really making a difference because at least in my opinion, I think you'll probably agree with this. Uh, if more people just go that flexitarian route, like you said, and we'll just choose the plant based option more, you know, maybe they're not like fully fully plant based or fully vegan or whatever. Um, that's okay because there's still more people, you know, in a coming together worldwide that are choosing the plant-based option. And that's doing more than maybe just one person who's hundred percent plant-based. If you're looking at it purely from a climate change perspective, is that how you feel kind of? Yeah. I mean, it's not just about how I feel. That's how the numbers work out. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we don't have to be very emotional about it. Like I, 
and I have this argument with vegans quite a bit and I get it because it's quite emotional, but if we look at 80% of the planet being 80% plant-based, it's going to be better than 20% of the planet being hundred plant-based. Yeah. Even if you're ethical for the animals, whether you're ethical for the environment, it doesn't matter. Definitely. If, definitely. If every time, that's why I've shifted changing every time you choose plants, you're part of the solution. Yeah. I a hundred percent agree with that. And I, that's, that's something that I also feel too, that I can, it, it's a little controversial for some people, like a little bit touchy. Um, you know, especially like I'm, I'm definitely vegan for like moral purposes, like for the animals first and foremost, but I still always say that more people choosing the plant-based option is still going to be like more beneficial than just like one vegan out of, you know, a hundred or whatever, whatever number you want to say. I mean, honestly, I think, I think people who are fully, fully vegan is only like in this, in, in the United States, I think it's like one percent maybe 1.5 percent of the population mm. here or something if if that the best estimate of the globe is 1.4 percent but let's round it up for two percent to be to be <laughs> conservative yeah but, you know two two percent small amount so yeah the more flexitarians the better at this stage exactly and you said like uh did you say in australia like uh 45 percent is flexitarian roughly dude yeah we've got a lot i think the latest stat from <clears throat> statistica.org was something like five to ten percent vegan uh, five, oh, 10% wow. vego and 42% flexitarian. So okay. that shocked me a lot. Cause I mean, there is a lot of vegans, but I didn't like 5% is a huge number. Yeah. That's, that's huge compared to the rest of the world for sure. I actually just, I looked this up recently and, uh, yeah, I didn't know Australia was that high, but I was looking at the United States being like a half a percentage, 1%. I was like, that sounds kind of right. <laughs> that's a lot though. Of 300 million, I don't have the stats, but that's like 300,000 or something. Like that. That's a lot. It's still, I mean, it's nothing to shake a shake a stick at, but uh, also, you know, like like you said, it's kind of like the flexitarians that are making up the bulk of it. And that, I appreciate that a lot. You know, I'm not going to go bash you know, talk shit and stuff just because, you know, as people are trying to choose the more ethical option or the more, you know, environmentally friendly option more often, then it's still making a huge change. So I think that's still great. I love that you think that way. I think that's really powerful and something that I think that perspective alone will let allow you to think less doom and gloom, which I think yeah. is, is a trap that I, I fall into sometimes as well. And I think a lot of people is, is fair enough to fall into that perspective really mm-hmm. uh, counters that. Yeah, yeah. The, I mean, it, it's so easy to pop onto, you know, wh- wherever you get your news or whatever and go through the articles and just be like, oh, this is a ton of terrible news. And you have to think about it because like the media and like the studies getting published and stuff, they they kind of, you know, they the media obviously has, has an agenda to get more views. The studies being published are being published by people, you know, writing these articles about it who also have an agenda. So yeah. Stop watching the news, guys. Seriously, <laughs> it's so bad. It's it's run by figures that have a vested interest in controlling the way that I don't want to get no. But this in Australia, in the state that I live in, I think it's something like ninety five percent of all print media is owned by one person. And wow. Corporation. So I'm not saying don't watch the news, but pick your news sources wisely. Um, and make sure it's an unbiased agenda where you're getting your new sources and don't take it, take it at face value. Look into things because if you're, I'm saying more and more, especially Sky News, you, they're very guilty of this. You, you're not allowed to give your opinion on the news. And that is what Sky News does. So if you watch Sky News in particular, which I know is pretty big in America, be very wary 
Um, and I won't say much more than that, but I think it's important to be very skeptical of what's going on in the news because everyone's trying to get some, everyone's trying to be happy, but some people, you know, they have different ideas of happiness. And when your paycheck relies on a certain product being sold or a certain mentality to be had, I think, especially like you said, they're trying to get clicks. I think it's just, it's, it's smart to be skeptical. Yeah. That's yeah. Everyone needs to hear that more often. Cause I think uh, a lot of people are accepting things at face value a little too much and uh, you know, not really questioning uh, where the source is or like what the agenda is or whatever. And uh, yeah, there's, there's a lot of political issues going on in the world right now, but like you said, like just look into things a little bit more. <laughs> so simple. Yeah. All right, Tom. Um, that I absolutely loved everything you just said about the environment. That was honestly like I I didn't know a lot of that, and I think that was just so great to hear. Um, you're very very well spoken, very well said. Um, so I think a lot of people are going to really appreciate hearing that. Uh, but I also don't want to keep you too much longer. I know it's just you're you're just starting your day over there. Um, so yeah, man, thank you so much. Uh, is there any closing words or anything you want to say that we didn't really get to touch on or anything? Look, I think we touched on a lot. I, I think when it comes to fitness, just I would I would definitely implore people to try add a little bit more cardio, even like versatility. So if you do a lot of uh, weight training, add in some calisthenics. If you do mm -hmm. a lot of cardio, it's very important on the other way to add resistance training because you need your muscles to be big and strong to be able to last you know, especially if you're doing bouts of four, five, six and beyond hours of exercise. So, I, I mean, we talked about cardio being important for people that do resistance training, but the other way is just as important, if not more. So if you just do cardio, you need to get into the gym and do some resistance. Um, I think that's very important. If, if people want to learn more about the environment, um, pl please do. Um, there's lots of really amazing sources. If you listen to podcasts, there's lots of amazing podcasts about there. Um, if you you know, you read the science. And if you don't know how to read the science, which is fair, it's something I'm still learning. Mm -hmm. um, and I spend hours a day sometimes just looking at the science to make sure I'm up to date. Find pages on Instagram. If you're on Instagram, find pages on Facebook. If you're on Facebook um, that, that share these kinds of things. If you're on YouTube and you want to uh, find out things about nutrition, like follow people like Mike, the vegan, if you're mm -hmm. into uh, you know, fitness, follow people that love fitness and share the right advice. And you might have to sift through people because you don't understand their perspective, but find people that relate to you. If you want to learn more about the environment, climate change, I'll plug myself, the plant paradigm. Like I, I share science in the most colloquial, simplistic way I can without kind of dumbing it down to not make sense anymore. So just find people that you resonate with for whatever you want to learn. So if it's about fitness, like following Ryan, you, you post some good stuff. It's, it's just finding people you relate to, to make sure your information that you're consuming is, is correct. So you don't uh, screw yourself over in the long run. Yeah, definitely. Very well said, man. And also going back to what you mentioned earlier about pushing yourself to, you know, challenge yourself. Uh, that was a very good point that you said about, you know, facing your fears and everything. And I think you can tie that into some of the other things you, you kind of just mentioned. Uh, so yeah, man, um, that was definitely great. And uh, where can people find you on social media? I know you mentioned uh, your podcast, The Plant Paradigm. Um, where else? Yeah, so a lot of like, all my podcast episodes get posted on 
YouTube. Um, so that's also the plant paradigm, but on Instagram, it's where I post a lot of my stuff. So it'll be a lot of, I post fitness stuff every now and again, but it's mainly just trying to raise awareness mm-hmm. about like the different science, things like that. i um, talking about food waste, um, environment, different, a lot of times actually nutrition now, just cause I think nutrition is a lot of gray areas and people are really confused. So I'm just trying to provide information in a very unbiased way. And I, everything I say in terms of studies, I reference. Mm-hmm. So every single time I give a statistic or a percentage or a number, you will find a source. So you know that I'm not talking crap and you can go look at it yourself. Um, I love that. Yeah, that's all at, at plant.paradigm on Instagram. And I'm on all the places like Twitter and, and Facebook and all stuff. But it's mainly Instagram that I'm at. Okay. Awesome, man. Yeah. I love so much that you, uh, you post all the studies to talk about. That's great. (laughs) Um, okay, man. Yeah. So thank you so much for coming on. Uh, honestly, amazing conversation. I, you have a ton of great info and, uh, it was a pleasure having you on, man. Dude, I really appreciate your time in allowing me to word vomit sometimes. (laughs) And the conversation was great. No, I really enjoyed it. I liked how, you know, the first 30 minutes was so natural and I love meeting people, um, who you just kind of riff riff on you just kind of build slowly and it's awesome to see other people in the world that are passionate about well we didn't even touch on like the ethics and the morality but you know you're obviously vegan for the animals first and foremost Mm -hmm. and i love that especially being a guy yeah Um, Yeah. and i know we have certain barriers that females maybe don't understand when it comes to the uh the issues of masculinity that we face in terms of criticisms from other people so i appreciate that you're out there being ripped and swollen and having a sick body <laughs> while also not consuming animal products so i think that's a really good form of effective activism you do naturally so that's awesome man and thanks again for having me on yeah thanks so much man so nice of you <laughs> all right great chat dude i will catch you next time i guess sounds good legend thanks for listening to this episode of the eighth approach podcast i really hope you enjoyed it If you haven't already, it would mean a ton if you gave the podcast a follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, Radio Public, Pocket Casts, Stitcher, Player FM, Pinecast, or any other service you're listening to, and subscribe to the Athex Fitness YouTube channel, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook page. Feel free to check out the articles, training and nutrition programs, and merch on athexfitness.com. And if you like what I'm making, dropping a like, commenting, and sharing would really, really help me out. Thanks so much, guys, and I'll see you in the next episode. Peace out.